All right, tonight we'll talk a little bit about the, the, uh, the judgment, the final judgment, and um, the eternal state. So, for us, heaven, for believers, heaven. And um, you can, I'm, I'm going to mention a passage here from Hebrews. You can turn with me to Matthew 25. We'll, we'll look at a, a kind of lengthy passage there. And we started last week... Um, talking about uh, last Wednesday night we were talking about death and we looked at uh, we mentioned Hebrews 9:27 so I'm going to read that again just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes the judgment so like I say last week we were we were focusing in on death and uh, the writer of Hebrews says there it's appointed for man to die once now that's that's normally how it happens uh, <laughs> you know there haven't been very many that uh, that missed out on physical death. Uh, Enoch and Elijah, and uh, then there have been some like uh, like Lazarus uh, and a few others that experienced physical death twice. But normally, man man dies once, and every man dies. I mean, nobody nobody's going to uh, be exempt from that. Well, likewise. After that, the writer of Hebrews says, comes judgment. So, death is sure, and judgment is sure. All right, so, I'm going to start uh, again with Matthew 25 here, and talking about the last, or the final judgment. And really, that's that's the theme that's going on here. Um, I'm not going to take time to read the whole chapter, but, but Jesus comes out of the, out of the prophecies the, uh, concerning the destruction of Jerusalem in the end times in, um, in Matthew 24 and goes right into uh, uh, talking about the second coming and the judgment uh, in the form of parables. You've got the parable of the ten virgins. You've got the, the parable of the uh, talents. And then he just goes into a, a description of the final judgment. And that's where we're going to pick up in... Uh, in verse 31. So let me, let me read this. It's a little bit lengthy, but um, I, I do want to read through it. So Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison, or visit you, and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, 
you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you or literally serve you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. So there you have Jesus' own description. This is, this is not, a, not a parable. Like I said, you've got in the, the, uh, the two parables that precede that, you've got, um, you have it pictured as well, his, his coming and judgment. Um, but this is not a parable, of course, and he does use some metaphors here and analogies, a sheep, shepherd, and so forth. But, but he's describing the way it's going to be. On the last, at the last judgment, he says, uh, first of all, um, in verse 31, this, this is when he comes, and, and I mentioned this last week, I, I think that we are looking for um, a single event uh, in terms of Jesus' second coming. I, I don't think that, uh, it do, doesn't seem to me that the, that the popular teaching today of, uh, of, of the, the church being called out prior to uh, others being called out just doesn't seem to, to hold water to me scripturally. Um, and, and that, that kind of creates a part A, part B. You know, Jesus comes and he takes us to church, and then later he comes back, and, uh, and, and you know, there's the final resurrection and judgment. But anyway, it seems to me it's all, in short, that it's all one event that we're looking for, and this is what Jesus is describing here. He's, he's again, coming out of that um, question, as a matter of fact, at the beginning of uh, chapter 24, where they ask, when will these things be, the destruction of the temple and so forth? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so, um, you know, he's been expounding on those things here. So he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. So this is going to be a glorious coming this time rather than uh, humble like, like like in the first coming as a baby in a manger and so forth. He comes in his glory and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. I love, <laughs> I love that description there. He's coming in glory, and he sits on a throne of glory, his glorious throne. And before him will be gathered all the nations. So nobody's going to be exempt from this. In fact, we had, uh, last week we, we looked a little bit in chapter 24, and he says that his coming is going to be like when the lightning goes across the sky from the east to west. So it's going to be something that everybody is, is uh, in on, everybody's aware of, conscious of, and uh, everybody is going to stand before the throne of Christ in judgment. All nations, all, all peoples, and he will separate them one from another, uh, like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Uh, that's the final judgment. And then we have the description here, of how it plays out. Um, in fact, let's go to Second uh, <clears throat> Corinthians. Well, let me give you let me give you two references here. 
One's going to be 2 Corinthians 5 and the other Romans 14. So I'm, I'm going to do Romans 14 first. They're very similar in what they say here. And again, the, the idea here is just that um, we will all face judgment. The Bible's clear on that. And I really think, let me, let me just throw this in too while you're turning your pages. I really think this is what is behind um, when, when people deny the truth, you know, like the atheist worldview or the naturalistic worldview, you, you think today about how we're told that um, there's no super, supernatural. Uh, ev- everything that, um, that we see is all, is all there is, and, and somehow it just all uh, e- evolved from this one cell um, uh, amoeba or it came, you know, out of this cosmic soup. But but there's no designer. It just it's it's just what is is what is, and, and there's nothing else. Um, I really think what's what's behind all that, whether whether people are aware of it or not, and I think a lot of them are aware of it, but is is the desire to escape accountability. The desire to escape judgment. If there's no Creator, if there's no God, um, there's no judgment. If there's no judgment, then we're not accountable. If we're not accountable, then our our lives, in terms of well, our lives don't matter. Period. But and so our conduct doesn't matter. And so that, um, as odd as it may sound, in one sense is, is in, in terms of rebellion and sin, what we think of as rebellion and sin and so forth, that is very freeing for people. I mean, in other words, they, I, can, I can pursue uh, ungodly desires without accountability because, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing outside of, out of uh, what, we, uh, what we know, what we refer to as the natural realm. And I really think that's what's at the, at the bottom of all that. One reason I say that is because of how Paul describes the ungodly and Romans 1, he says they suppress the truth. And he, they clearly know the truth, but they suppress the truth. It's, it's, a, it's a willing um, effort. Um, he's, you know, they know God, Paul says, but they, they, they deny Him. They suppress the truth. All right. So I, I, years ago I read a book that kind of made that point that was uh, really good by um, John Blanchard where he uh, well, it's a lengthy book, and it's 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 an excellent uh, excellent book. But um, the title of it was "Does God Believe an Atheist?" and and his main conclusion, and he covers a lot of ground in that book. He goes he he goes through an overview of philosophy and uh, Western philosophy, and then he goes through the spends a, a good part of the book on the theory of evolution, and and anyway, it's a lengthy book. But his whole thing with the atheist is this. Um, he, he, he basically winds up saying that, that there's really no such thing as an atheist. What they are in reality is anti-theist. In other words, they're just like Romans, like Paul is saying in Romans 1. They're just so much against God uh, that they um, suppress the truth and uh, try to convince themselves and others, and maybe they succeed in that, uh, but they, they try to convince themselves and others that there is no God. All right, so Romans 14, 10, 
why do you pass judgment on your brother? Are you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, that's the phrase I want us to think about here for what we're talking about tonight. Um, in, in this treatment of, of uh, Paul um, exhorting the brothers to love one another in this treatment of Christian, what we refer to as Christian liberty here, he says, For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, Paul's talking to believers here, but um, actually that's, of course, as we've already mentioned, is going to include everybody. Everybody. Everybody's going to give an account. And again, we see that described uh, by Jesus himself in Matthew 25. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. Let me, uh, I may start a little bit before that. Let's see. Verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Again, that's a little bit along the lines of what we talked about last week. You know, Paul um, was saying it's better for believers, it's better to be... um, out of this world, away from the body, and at home with the Lord. And so Paul says we, we'd, rather, we'd rather do that. But he goes on to say, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For, now notice that little term for, little word for, is important. And, and keep in mind too, everything we just read, in Matthew 25, and how Jesus describes the judgment, um, and, and, and with the with the uh, the righteous and the ungodly, and Paul says, "We make it our aim. We make it our aim. As long as we're in this world, uh, we make it our aim to please God. For now, it's going to give some explanation. Because, in other words, for this reason, you could say." We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So, Paul's saying, I'm living this life with the awareness that one day I will stand before Christ, stand before His throne. We aim, we make it our aim to please Him, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I think, what he's doing there, of course, is referring to the same event that Jesus is describing in Matthew 25. Let me finish out the verse here. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So, and, and again, you see that described um, by Jesus in, uh, in Matthew 25, to, to some degree anyway. All right, so everybody, um, the judgment is sure. Like we said, appointed unto man wants to die. After that, the judgment. Judgment is sure and is sure for all. No, nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna miss it. This is uh, another appointment. Like we we talk about death being an appointment that we <laughs> that we can't we can't avoid. We're not gonna be late for it. We can't get out of it. Well, it's the same way with the judgment. Um, it's it's sure. 
Everybody, it's going to include everybody. Everybody will, will face Christ at the final judgment. Um, let me mention just a couple other things here because I, I like, in, in, for example, in the evangelism that goes on here. Look, look over in Acts 17. And it's always good to see, like, um, might, you know, just keep this in mind as we're moving through Acts on Sundays too. When, when the apostles and others um, preach, what do they talk about? You know, and how do they, how do they present it, and, and what do they say? It's always uh, helpful um, to see, you know, kind of helps us see what is, what is important and even what to focus on with different crowds because they, they don't always talk the same way with every crowd. In Acts 17, Paul is in Athens, the cultural center of the uh, ancient Greek empire, and he's talking to um, philosophers of the day, <coughs> primarily Stoics and Epicureans, gathered there at, at, the, uh, at Mars Hill, the Areopagus. Um, you've heard me say before, that's kind of the Oprah Winfrey show of the day, you know, where they would, <coughs> where they would come and they would just talk about uh, stuff and, and, and uh, you know, like to hear some new thing. And so they heard Paul talking a little bit in the marketplace, and they, they uh, wanted him to come over and speak at the Areopagus, which he did. And he presents to them, of course, um, the true God. He points out their, their, um, their false religion and, uh, uh, in, a, in a very tactful way. It <laughs> sounds like he's... Uh, complimenting them at first almost you know he says i perceive that you are very religious and you know i look around and you've got monuments here and there but uh he goes on to mention that they have one to the unknown god and he says it's him i declare to you and he goes to explain that god made everything and he's not worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything and so forth and then you get uh down to verse 29 I'm sorry, verse 30. Uh, the times of ignorance, and he's talking about their idolatry and so forth. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because, and that, and that by the way, is, is universal. I mean, all people everywhere are commanded by God to repent. That's That's... That's it. We can always carry that message in confidence, right? I mean, here it is, black and white for us. And it's, it's for everybody. It's universal. Why does God command all men everywhere to repent? He goes on to say, verse 31, Because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So Paul says, God has fixed a day. It's, it's coming. For sure, it's certain. He's fixed a day in which he will judge the world. Jesus said um, that all nations will be gathered before him. That day is coming when everybody... There's, there's only one gospel. There's only one way of salvation. There's a, there's a universal 
problem that every human being has, and that's our rebellion against God. And the remedy is universal. There's one remedy for every single lost person out there, uh, and, and that is you, you can only be saved um, through the atoning work of Jesus Christ, through faith in Christ, His atoning work. So Paul says, God winked at this uh, ignorance, but um, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man. Who's the man? Jesus, (laughs) that's right. By a, a man, that of course is Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So, again, the resurrection of Christ is... Well, just just go back for a minute to what Jesus said. You know, we talked about this on Resurrection Day. The, resur- the fact that God raised Christ from the dead confirms everything that Jesus claimed to be and everything that Jesus taught. So, for example, you can put include in that um, what we just read in Matthew 25. Jesus says um, that... All nations are going to be gathered before him, and he's going to judge them. He's going to, he's going to be on his glorious throne. Well, Paul says we are assured of that by his resurrection. The fact that God raised him from the dead um, is an assurance that that's going to happen, along with everything else that Jesus said would happen. Oh, just thinking in, in terms of evangelism here, let's flip, flip over for a, a minute to um, chapter 24, Acts chapter 24. This is Paul before, um, before Felix, verse 24. So after some days, this is, this is when Paul is being held. And here they're hearing his case. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla. Oh, what a name that is. Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus and as he reasoned about righteousness, notice it's interesting because Luke gives us the, the, the topics here, so to speak. As he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. So while, while Paul is... is um, talking to uh, to Felix about the gospel. That includes, of course, righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. So that's, that's a part of his uh, evangelistic message. I mean, he's preaching that in Athens on, uh, in, in, uh, in front of the, uh, at the Areopagus there. And here he is, uh, um, even while he's, he's being, essentially being interrogated. Pretty much, or you know, he's giving his story. So he's talking about judgment. We are, um, in fact, our, you know, our lives, our lives do count. I mean that in a couple of ways. Um, number one, we we have there is meaning for us. I, now, for the life of me, I don't I don't see how anybody who um, accepts an atheistic worldview. Evolution, um, for example. I don't, 
I don't, I don't know how, how they can think in terms of meaning, period, about anything that they do. <clears throat> but that's certainly not the case for the Christian. Uh, our lives do count because we're created in, in the image of God. We're created for Him, for His purposes, for His glory. We're, we're put here to reflect His glory, to mirror His character. We're put here to um, eventually, ultimately, to spend eternity with Him um, as examples of His great grace. Um, our lives do count. And I mean it also in this way, too. I was talking earlier about this, some who, who want to escape accountability. Well, we're all going to be accountable all accountable for what we do. So our, our lives count in that sense too. In fact, isn't it interesting that Paul is reasoning with Felix about self-control and righteousness and judgment. Well, judgment for what? You know. So, so um, our lives do count and, and we are accountable. And we just saw also in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 where Paul says, We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged according to our works. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. Okay. So, yeah, some, you know, the, the secularist or, the, or the, the, the naturalist, you know, naturalism, since it says there's, there is no supernatural um, reject the idea of accountability. And sometimes um, Christians are, are tempted to, uh, from a different, coming at it from a different angle, but tempted to fall into that same uh, error, I think, and think that, um, you know, because we're saved by grace and be- because Christ died in, in our place and so forth, um, what we do doesn't matter. But, but the Scripture clearly teaches that what we do does matter. All right, the eternal state. So... Let me go back to Matthew 25 just for a second here. In fact, there's a 24 and 25. What? Because, you know, we're going to face judgment. Okay, well, what happens at the judgment? We just read it a moment ago. Jesus says, um, before him, speaking of himself, and, and this is Matthew 25:32. before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. So there's going to be uh, a, a great separation. People separated essentially into two, uh, two camps, basically. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king, that of course is Jesus, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father inherit the kingdom. All right, so the, so the end of the judgment for, for believers is going to be uh, to inherit the kingdom. So this is the point in time, which, as Jesus says it here, when we enter the fullness of the inheritance we have in Christ Jesus. Come, you who are blessed by my Father... Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And you look at the last verse there, verse 46. These 
talking about the, the wicked, which I'll come back to in just a second. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So at the judgment, sheep separated from goats, goats representing uh, unbelievers or the unrighteous, and sheep representing the righteous believers. And the goats go away into eternal punishment, unbelievers, the unrighteous, but the righteous, again represented by the sheep, go into eternal life. Life. At this point. Now back up a little bit. Let's go back to one of the, the parables here of the uh, talents. The faithful servant. Eh, let's, let's go down to verse. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to read the whole parable here, but I want to get to the, to the judgment part. Verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. That's a picture of the judgment. You get it again in verse 23. Um, when the one with two talents comes, and he, he has also invested what his master gave him and, uh, and doubled it. In verse 23, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Notice that, by the way. So, so what is the, the eternal state that we're talking about? Well, here Jesus represents it as entering into the joy of our Master. <laughs> or, as he says further down in verse 46 of uh, chapter 25, um, eternal life. Or, as he says it back up in verse 34, inheriting the kingdom. So the, the eternal state for us is the fullness of all that God has promised down through the ages. That would, that would be it. It is the fullness, the full realization, uh, the completion of our salvation. And it is to be in His presence forever. In fact, in Thessalonians, Paul says, When the Lord returns, we join Him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So that's what we have to look forward to in the eternal state. Now, um, the wicked, on the other hand, represented here as entering damnation. First, in, in this, back in the parable of the talents again, if you look down at um, verse 28, he's talking to the one who only had one talent and who did not invest it. Verse 28, So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus uses that, uh, that description repeatedly, uh, the, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And then, and then here also he describes it as outer darkness. 
yeah, the, the weeping and gnashing of teeth and, and some others uh, along those lines. Matthew 8, 12, 13, 42, 13, 50, 22, 13, 24, 51, 25, 30, and Luke 13, 28. I mean, Jesus talked quite a bit about this, and he always uh, um, described the fate of the, uh, the unrighteous, the unbelievers, in, in uh, very grim terms. And then again, back to his account of the judgment in the latter part of Matthew 25. He says in verse 41, Then he will say to those on his left, that is, again, referring to himself, he, he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, notice this contrast, which Jesus is, of course, intentionally drawing. Look back in verse 34, and he's speaking to those on the right, his sheep. What's the first word that he says to them? Come, right? Come. Or the way that he says it in the parable, um, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of your master. So it's, it's come, come, enter in. Uh, enter into your inheritance. Enter into the joy of your master. And here's the contrast. To the, to the unbelievers, he says in verse 41, depart. Depart from me. Essentially, go. Come, go. Strong, strong contrast. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So, so the, the, um, the ultimate end for us, for believers, is to be in the Lord's presence forever, right? <laughs> and, and then the ultimate judgment for unbelievers is to be separated from God forever. So it's described in such ways as, as uh, the torment of fire or, as he says here, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, which pictures great... Uh, Great agonizing. So, for unbelievers, eternal separation. For believers, eternal communion. Eternal fellowship. Come, you blessed of my Father. That's an awesome way to put it, too. You, you blessed of my Father. <laughs> blessed of my Father. Come. Enjoy your inheritance. All right. Let me, let me give you one more here. This is from John 5. John 5, 28 and 29. Jesus says, The hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice. Again, talking about Himself, Son of Man, Son of God. Will hear His voice and come out. That is, come out of the tombs. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And notice again how he connects it to works. And you got what you got in in uh, in Matthew 25 and and um, and Paul's description in in, uh, in Corinthians and and so our lives do count, and we are accountable. There there's going to be judgment, final judgment, and and uh, you know I mean we could. If, if everybody on earth denied it, it's still going to happen. Uh, there's going to be a final judgment. And for believers, 
um, it, it is then that we will um, enter into um, the, the presence of the Lord for, forever, forever, to, to never experience uh, sin and its uh, effects and consequences uh, again. Let me just close with this. If you would turn, turn with me over to uh, Revelation chapter 21. And really, um, I won't take time to do it here, but I mean, it'd be good to, to, to read through both chapters. You may want to do that on your own. But look at chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven. Oh, let me, let me, let me back up just because of the, the mention of the second death here, because uh, we were just talking about the uh, destination of the wicked. Oh, like I said, I can't read through it all, but... Um, Look at uh, 20, verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Another way that their uh, eternal state is described. Verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay. Verse 14 again. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. All right. So that, that is, the again, the final state of uh, of unbelievers to uh, to die the second death. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into it into the lake of fire. Chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Now, that's, that's what we've been coming to in, in, the, in the whole um, biblical narrative. I mean, from, from, from Genesis 1 through 3, creation and the fall, Adam and Eve were separated from God. And from that point on, what, what God has promised and sent prophets to declare is that there's going to be reconciliation where man is, is reunited um, with God to commune once again. And of course, that happens in Christ so that all who are in Christ are reconciled to God. So this is uh, this is the, the that being realized, those promises being realized, the fullness of that. Behold, the dwelling place of God was is with man. So now it's it's back in this sense to what it was in the garden, where, where God and man had communion. Uh, only now, uh, even a better state. And it says, He will dwell with them, that is, God will dwell with them, and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them as their God. Now, look at some of the description here, and I know you're familiar with it, but it's um, definitely a blessing to hear it. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. It's appointed unto man once to die, but there's coming a day for believers when... Even death is, is no more. It's history. No more dying. Death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and the Omega, and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have, his, will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So the eternal, that's the eternal state. Well, the last part we just read is the eternal state for um, unbelievers. The eternal state for believers is to be with God forever, dwelling with Him, uh, us, we as His people, He as our God in His very presence. Any comments? <laughs> Y'all don't look too happy about that. Ah. <laughs> uh, it's a blessing to think about. Judgment, you know, ju- judgment. A lot, a lot of people don't like the the uh, the to think about judgment, but you know, um, we, I mean, God has built this into us. We long for it. We long for things to be set right. When when we witness injustice, um. E- e- even unbelievers, you know, this is one thing I think you know atheists have a hard time explaining, because everybody, when when you when you experience or witness injustice, it does something on the inside of you, you know, and you wish you know things could be set right, or you may try to set things right. God's built that into us. We long for judgment. Now, as Christians, we know um, justice for us, of course, would mean. Uh, the lake of fire. So, God's not giving us justice. He's giving us mercy, grace. But, He will judge the world and all things will be set right. So, it would be a glorious time because God, um, God will be glorified in it. And then, as I said, and then beyond that, we're with Him for eternity. And if you read through the description here of the city, uh, it's, it's just awesome. Awesome. It'll be re- renewed, you know, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, anyway, it'll be, it'll be uh, restored, redone, corrected, so that, you know, because right now, the, the, the world we live in, the, you know, the physical world is, is affected by the fall as well. And all that will be set right. So, you know, that's why you have biblical pictures like a lion laying down um, with, with a lamb um, or, or, uh, or eating uh, hay like an ox because um, all, of the, all of that, you know, big bad lions and, and uh, tigers and all that killing the poor little gazelles and everything, all of that's the result of the fall. And so this whole world will be um, renewed 
restored. In fact, he says, uh, Behold, that's, this is Revelation 21, 5, Behold, I am making all things new. The former things have passed away. Verse 4. So there's a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. I mean, just, just righteousness. Sin is, is no longer a part of our uh, experience at this point. And this is where the whole biblical narrative is moving all the you know you read through the Bible the Old Testament history and then the the uh, the time of Christ and and then you know the uh, like the book of Acts and the, the gospel begins to spread it's always moving toward this end God once again uh, dwelling with his people without sin interfering and he's made that possible through Christ, through Jesus I mean that's the only way it's possible I think about that, um, and I don't, I don't say this to be mean or anything like that, but you'll see a lot of times, say, for example, on Facebook, where instead of praying, people will say things like, you know, sending thoughts, sending good thoughts your way, and that kind of thing. And I know they mean, like I said, I'm not saying that to be, I'm not making fun. I know they, they mean well, but, I'm, but what, what exactly does good thoughts do, you know? I mean... Yeah, and e even prayer is vain if it's the, you know, I mean, it matters who you're praying to, you know. <clears throat> if you're not, not praying to the living God uh, through Christ as mediator, then e even prayer is uh, useless. All right, so for us, death, judgment, that, that's all victory because, because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done in our behalf. Something to, and, and, and this is the way the Bible presents it, something to look forward to as we move through this life. Okay, let's pray.